you're listening to a Mash Those Buttons podcast. Visit mashthosebuttons.com for a full podcast schedule. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mash Those Buttons MASHcast, a podcast about video games, culture, community, and industry. I am Jared, also known as Ja, and I'm here with the Scourge of Iron Forge and Games Industry Public Defender, Nick Zelenkevich. Hey, how's everybody doing? Hey, and we are also here with, once again, not Fruit Loop, not Cream Puff, but Pop-Tart. How you doing, Christina? I'm good. What's up? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Trying to come up with a better intro for you. I can only say it so many times. They go, yeah, we get it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we got the name. It's fine. Did you hear any new ones this week? No, no uh, new ones this week. So. All right. Yeah, but uh, even we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. There's a couple more episodes, I'm sure, but you'll see something. You know, it'll be good to go. Uh, but yeah, this is episode number four, and today we're going to be talking about games and education. Um, before we get into that, though, I'd like to welcome anybody listening for the very first time. Thank you very much for checking out the Mashless Buttons MASHcast, especially if you are, uh, you know, coming from one of our other shows. Why are you shaking your head, Nick? Because they should have been listening to the original MASHcast. Oh, yeah. They're, oh. They're, they're, if they're not original listeners, they're no good. I'm no, sorry. they're still good. They're, they're still, still good. good. Okay. I, I, I don't want to hate on people. I, I, I just do sometimes. uh but yeah thank you very much for checking us out and uh yeah hopefully you stick around and enjoy the topics before we hop into the main topic though we're gonna go around the table see what everybody's been up to gaming wise nick let's start with you because you're probably the shortest list go for it i am 84 wins away from getting my golden rogue in a hearthstone and so, uh, with any luck, I should get that this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've been doing. I've been working on that. That's about it. Yeah, like I said, short yeah, that, uh, yeah, and that and, and WoW's going well, but you can listen yeah. to my WoW shows about that. Right, right. All right. Christina, how about you? So, I finally got a game off my list. So, I beat Easy with, like, 60 hours, and then I realized I beat it at 80% trophies, so I'm not done the game because I would need to get to that 100% now. And that's basically it. My whole life is in that game right now. Mm. Which game did you say it was again? Ease. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. It's YS. YS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm like Googling now because I'm like, what is that? What kind? Of, I've never heard of that before. It's been around for a while. The one that I uh, played was the f- the one on PS2, Memories of Celeste. No, uh, Ark of Nepashim. I don't know how to say any of the names. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's so confusing. Uh, but I've been playing them for a bit, so they're a lot of fun. I've actually seen this game before, but I thought that was just a fucked up X. <laughs> I'm looking at the logo. I'm like, oh, I've seen that before. It's like very action based, so it is RPG. So you level up and stuff, but it's more like Tales of Bers- or like any of the Tales games where you're like, you just 
slash and you have special moves and stuff, but it's all like on an open map. So you don't go into a fighting sequence. Mm, I gotcha. Okay. Like, I've never actually looked into it before. What, what, what are you playing it on? PS4. Okay. And they have a lot on the PC actually. And Vita yeah. and everywhere. Do you have to play them in order? Like, is there like a continuous story or does it like no. a Final Fantasy? I mean, there's a somewhat continuous story, but I mean, the main character loses his memory in like 90% of the stories. So, <laughs> oh, God. This one he doesn't is fine, but it's one of those. Gotcha. Okay. That's about it then. Yeah. Okay. My turn. Mm. So. <laughs> I actually, um, I've been playing only two games. I've been playing Overwatch, and uh, I talk about I'll talk about that on Watch More Rare, so I'm not going to bore everybody here with how the end of the season went and how the beginning of the season is going. But um, the other game, like that, I'm trying to chew through my backlog is Kingdom Hearts the 1.5 plus 2.5 remix disc. So that's going to take me a while. I mean, technically speaking, that's four games. It had list six, but two of the games are just videos. They're, like, they're just like, uh, like like theater mode, basically. Uh, so it's essentially four games, and we're talking about games that were made in like the early 2000s. So these aren't eight to ten hour games, right? These are pretty hefty games, pretty difficult games. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've been playing that. I, I did finish Sora's uh chain of memories uh that his story in chain of memories because if you guys remember correctly I, like i i alerted christina to the fact that in chain of memories once you beat sora's parts you have to go through the game as riku um which it's not it's not like the same game right it's a it's a it's the same game in terms of style but it's a different story and it's they use different mechanics like for example with riku you cannot select your you cannot alter your deck at all they give you the deck and there's no reload time on your deck when you have to reload it so it's definitely a bit different but that being the case it took me 30 hours to get through sora oh it took me God. 30 hours to get through sora um it, it took a while yes and so riku if i remember correctly does not take as long because you don't have to worry about you know, fixing your deck and, you know, stuff like that. You don't have to worry about a lot of the maintenance stuff. You just kind of go through the game and fight. Not to mention they put a mechanic in the game for Riku so that when you break cards, which that's something you're going to do while you're fighting anybody, uh, uh, other people anyway, once you break enough cards, you power up and now you can just kind of blow through everybody on the field. So the game moves a lot faster as Riku. Sora, though, it reminded me about this problem that Squaresoft had, and I don't know, or Squaresoft or Square Enix, I don't know if they still have that problem, because I honestly have not played a Squaresoft, I keep calling Squaresoft, a Square Enix game uh, since, I would say Final Fantasy XII was the last Square Enix game I actually played. I played thirteen for a bit, but I was getting bored, and then I found out that you're going to be on a linear path for the first six hours of the game. I'm like, I'm out. Like, nope. Final Fantasy Thirteen is for me, and lo and behold, they made three of those fucking games. I gave up like I, I gave up for a really long time. I kept playing and I kept giving up. I think it took about four years for me to finally get through Thirteen. No, <laughs> that's what do it. I played Final Fantasy Fourteen for a short period of time, but I just can't stick with MMOs. 
I, I just can't do it unless they have great PvP. Like they like that's why I liked Warhammer Online because it had great PvP. You know, and then WoW took a bunch of it, and then the Warhammer Online went away. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but that's other than that, I, I just can't. The PV the PvE content won't keep me satiated, but. Back to Kingdom Hearts. So this problem that Square Enix games have, and I don't say I don't know they still have it, is that they put a boss in like the middle of the game. That once you beat that boss, you pretty much beat the game because every boss after that is super easy. It's like super easy. Uh, in Kingdom Hearts, they have four of those bosses, and they're all Riku. Every time you fight Riku, you don't fight another hard boss until you fight the next Riku. You know, like basically, like if you can get past the Riku, you pr- you have the skills you need, the cards you need to to beat everybody until you see him again. Go ahead. Just one quick question to somebody who's never played the Kingdom Hearts games: This isn't Riku from Final Fantasy X, is it? No, no it is not. Two, it's a different Riku. Two okay. Ks, so it's a, two, a dude, right? Is that how it works? No, it's one K. Is it one yeah, K? Riku, Do Riku they both only two have one K? one K? Yeah, Riku one K. It's a dude with silver hair. I thought it was supposed to be one K if it was a dude and or the other. I don't know. Okay, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's one K with and it's a dude. So that was the only really frustrating parts. Once I kind of got back into to the swing of the game, was his boss fights. You have to fight him four times as Sora, and the reason he's like super aggressive. He move his car. He like he picks his cards really fast. He has a lot of zero cards, so he can break. You like you can put together like a slight or a combination of cards. It's super powerful. Zero breaks it like it's nothing. So fighting him requires you have to think so fast. Your cards have to be ready. You got to have the right cards in your deck, and you have to write the, use the right enemy cards just to beat him. Like it's it's pretty tough to beat him. Once you beat him. All of the other enemies, move, all the other bosses pretty much move in slow motion compared to him. You know, I had the same thing in 10. I think the hardest fight was like the middle of the game. And I had to grind for a lot of items. So I wouldn't just instantly. Was it Seymour Guado? No. Oh, no? It, no. No, I had issues with Unalaska. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I was actually, I was going to bring up Final Fantasy 10. But I was going to talk about Seymour Guado. I think Seymour Guado was the hardest fight in that game. Which one was that? Because I feel like you fight him like 20 times. Wasn't he the one like he was like flying at the top of the mountain or something? Or yes, was, like a top cliff? of Mount Gagazette. Is that yes. like right after you get through what's uh, Kamari's like mountain or whatever? That was like the yeah. easiest fight. I just like flew through that. No, I it took me forever to beat Seymour Guado. And after I beat Seymour Guado, I flew through the rest of the game. Every other boss fight after that was extremely easy. No, that was Unalaska for me because she kept like I had to get like anti-zombie items because like she kept zombieing me and then healing me and killing me. Uh, I yeah, I blew through Unalaska. I know, but Seymour Guado was the one that was like really that was like that. I I actually had to go like I was losing so much I had to keep going down the mountain <laughs> and finding random random enemies to fight just to level up and to get certain items. Seymour Guado was a son of a bitch. <laughs> like, they, like that. Like they, they have games like that. Like, for example, in my opinion, Final Fantasy VII, the dragons that randomly spawn in the crater are harder than Sephiroth himself. I don't even remember finishing. I finished the game. I just don't remember the ending. Like, I don't remember finishing it. Yeah, like the the game definitely has. 
like ball, like harder ball like these Square Enix games. It feels like they put like a, a boss like in the middle of nowhere, and the boss is super hard. If you can get past that boss, done. Even Kingdom Hearts, if I remember correctly, I believe I had more trouble with Riku at Hollow Bastion than I did actually fighting Ansem at the end of the game. It's always Riku for him. Yeah, like it's, it's I, it, like yeah, it's it's a, it's a pain. It's all yeah. It's a, Riku's been a pain in my ass for a long time, but now like yeah, it, it, I, I beat it. I'm glad it's over. It did remind me of some stuff that happened in the game. I was like, maybe I should just skip this, right? Maybe I should just skip this game and go because I already beat it one time. But it did remind me about some stuff that I didn't think about some um, deaths that happened in in the chain of memory that I probably wouldn't have remembered otherwise. So I'm glad I did it. Um, I just it just kind of sucks for, for people who love Kingdom Hearts. They're like it's kind of the same game, but it's a different game. Like the card system totally changes how you play that game. You know, you can't just hacking and slash your way through the game anymore. So if you if you're gonna do it, people like you're trying to catch up for Kingdom Hearts three, just just bear through it, and definitely beat at least Sora's part. You don't have to beat Riku's part, but definitely beat Sora's part. So, but that's that. We're gonna actually gonna hop into our main topic here. While Christina drops stuff in the background, that's okay. I'll get it in post. But I'm gonna leave this. Put that to the side. I'm actually gonna leave this part in just so people know. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna talk about games and education, and the reason we wanted to bring this up is because uh, Ubisoft made actually what I think was a pretty big move to take the universe that they built for Assassin's Creed and make it educational. Uh, they have Assassin's Creed Discovery Tour now, which takes the killing part out of Assassin's Creed, and you can actually walk around Egypt and you go to these different places and information comes up about the place that you're at. So it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it definitely costs Ubisoft some money to do that, but <clears throat> they already had the universe built like the assets were already built up the engines are already there so i'm sure it wasn't as expensive if they built something like this from the ground you know they could probably do the same things or something similar with their older assassin's creed games that use the same engine or had the hd remakes and stuff like that but assassin's creed discovery tours i think a great step into, you know, making games great tools or something that you can at least kind of show people that, hey, you know, games can work in education. Uh, but it's not like we don't have games in education and we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about, you know, what kind of games do we see in education and we're not talking about like Math Blaster, you know, so <laughs> where we're talking about actual games that you can use for educational purposes. But I guess our first question is like, what place do games have in education? I'll, I'll open that question up for you guys. Which, so, okay. In what regard though? Like, do you mean as in like the classroom setting or do you mean more as just like an overall like educational kind of like, like, let's go bro. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, let's, say, let's go bro. Let's go, let's go with B for what you're, what okay. you're saying. Go for it. Because, like, there's a lot of times where I'll play a game and, like, something will come up and I'll be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. So I think, like, even, like, minor things, like, educational-wise, like, it, it's definitely awesome. Because, like, especially playing games, there's a lot of things that I don't really learn about 
um, because I'm like spending a lot of time playing games. So it's kind of cool to see like that mixed in together. I always actually thought Assassin's Creed should have something in that regard where they open it up a little bit more to be a little bit more educational because they kind of already go back into like, I guess that kind of stuff, like where uh, it's really hard to explain, but like they, they had the window open but they just didn't like kind of go through it, I think, until more recently. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, it's it's kind of hard to like dance around that that like not dance around it, but kind of answer it like so broadly, I guess. Gotcha. What about you, Nick? Well, I think the problem is that we're going to get into the examples of how games belong in education. That I mean, I guess at the very basis of it is that games are an interactive experience where you be, you can become invested in it in a different way it's in some ways it's like reading a book like you know you're reading you, when you read a book you activates your imagination and you have to you know envision the words on the page and a game lets you interact with with the world in a slightly different way it, not so much like you don't have to imagine what the world looks like it's kind of there for you but you get to actually like you know play out some of the interactions that that you otherwise you otherwise wouldn't get to see. Um, and, and I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing, it's, it's one thing to read about like ancient Egypt. It's another thing to actually go into a good simulation. I think if anything, this speaks more to like VR coming forward as far as we're only going to see more experiences. And it's really, it really becomes a bit muddled in the sense of, I mean, is, is, is even the Assassin's Creed project, is that a game at that point? They're just using the technology from Assassin's Creed in an educational fashion that it's not that, that you know it's not like you're running around and actually you know you have a, you have missions to do it's not like you're running around you know assassinating people it's it's more a playground and so i think really what we're talking about is is gaming technology is just another venue for, through which education can be pursued i think that's kind of what we're looking at right i mean there's so many there's a bunch of different ways that games can be used. Like, you know, you have, well, I mentioned like Math Blaster, but stuff like that, that's like very direct end games, right? And then educational games. And then you have something like Assassin's Creed Discovery Tour, which is clearly more slated toward education and teaching you about Egypt and stuff like that. But then, you know, games in general, it might be one of the only... Uh, types of media or experiences that you can have where you can kind of teach yourself as you go along right you know that that's that's you know, almost every other i'm trying to think i don't want to say just piece of media but you know yeah I, mean, I guess any other type of media you can say like you kind of have to be instructed somebody has to say something there has to be something written on the page whereas with games a lot of games, you have to figure shit out on your own. Uh, you know, if you look at... Actually, Mario is a great example. And it's it's a great example for game design, too, on how to teach your player how to play the game without telling them how to play the game. You know, where, you know, uh, they started each world with, I think, I, I think one, two, right? Or, sorry, like one, one, or one, two, or two, two. And then they kind of back it down to one, one or 2-1 and put elements into the game to say, okay, th these are these things. Like the first time you make a jump in Mario, there's a, uh, there's ground underneath it, 
the next time you make that same jump that looks the same, it's a chasm instead. You know, so you know how to do it. Um, I think uh, there's actually a video. I forget. It's been such a long time since I've seen it. But it talks about the the game design of Mega Man X and how it forces you to learn how to jump. It forces you to learn how to shoot. It forces you how to learn how to wall climb without a single tutorial. You know, and, and stuff like that. So games teach you how to play them, or they can, if the game is designed well, it can teach you how to play them without having messages pop up on the screen and stuff like that. And there's, I think there's value in that itself. Not to mention a lot of games require uh, that your skills be uh, uh, reinforced, like things you learn in school, like reading and math and like logic, you know. Yeah, that's so a, yeah. that's like a big thing too. Like a lot of games, especially like uh, Zelda that just came out. I don't really think they told you much about anything. They kind of just did the intro and was like, okay, kind of go have fun. So it's like a lot of problem solving, like quick, quick thinking. Um, but another game that kind of did that for me, which hurt my brain. And I still haven't beaten it to this day, but was The Witness. Like they don't say literally anything. And you kind of had to teach yourself how that game is supposed to be supposed to go through it basically and there's like a lot of stuff that you can easily miss because it doesn't like there's actually like voice files that you can find that i didn't even know i didn't even know there was any kind of like voice acting or anything in this game there's like voice files that you can find everything too which i just i didn't kind of again beat the game because it hurt my head too much um first mistake is i tried to play it while i was drinking (laughs) (laughs) but i did try to play it a couple times after that but it's it's very complex Um, but a lot of games do that um even if they do teach you how to play the game to begin with there's like a lot of things like a lot of games incorporate puzzles and stuff like that too yeah yeah i mean puzzles definitely help with with the logic right i mean people do crossword puzzles every day just to kind of keep their brain sharp but not, nothing against crossword puzzles, but games kind of crush that shit, you know, <laughs> where you have games like Portal and things like that, where you can now make puzzles in three-dimensional spaces, you know. And even the poor, like, games that are kind of like Portal, like uh, the Turing Test was is like that. Um, God, what there's, a, there's one, I forget the name of it. It actually had a slight horror theme, but it was, instead of Portals, it was Magnets. Um, and Cthulhu comes out at the end of it. <laughs> I forget what the name of that game was, uh, but it was actually it, it, it was actually pretty challenging too. Nick, I think Nick is looking it up now. Was it Mag Runner? Mag Runner, that is it. It was Mag Runner. Yes, and that game is not what you expect it to be. I will tell the developer this: putting horror music in with puzzle solving, not the best combination. I don't want a Cthulhu servant chasing after me while I'm trying to solve magnet puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do horror. Don't do that. It, was, it, wasn't ter- it wasn't like it wasn't like really horror horror, but at the same time, I was like, hmm. I get nervous really easily. I was watching a video of somebody walking down. It's just a game that you walk downstairs and sometimes on one landing, like the bad guy's there and you die. And I was just getting nervous watching him go down the stairs. Like, I get so nervous. <laughs> it's the anticipation that gets me. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Yeah, this game wouldn't be for you. Then. No, no, thank you. So, <laughs> yeah, but um, 
No, there's definitely, and, and like I said, there's other games that like reinforce things. Like, take Kingdom Hearts, perfect example. Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, right? You, if you can't do math, you can't play that game. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of you can't if you can't do math, you cannot play Chain of Memories. It is, it is expecting that you can do math at a certain level in order to actually beat that game. Maybe that's why I didn't do well in it. You, you can't yeah. do math. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah. One and one is two, right? Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, so like obviously there's number comparisons, but when you fight the bosses specifically, when they put cards together, you have to be able to add up what they have and then come up with a combination that's higher than that so that you can either, you know, knock it out, or if you don't have anything, you don't want to waste cards. So that's that's kind of the deal right there. But there there are plenty of games though that actually trivialize the math aspect that I think in a lot of like modern rpgs like you have like you know two different pieces of gear and, and they have different you know stat ratings on them but they'll just put like little green arrows to tell you like oh no this one's better and so you don't even need to actually like comprehend what the numbers are you just have to look to see which one's green and then you use that so i mean borderlands is like that <laughs> yeah so it's it's not even like all games that have numbers that you would think oh well this has numbers this is educational but no not really yeah because it's still a game first in those cases it's still a game first so if you had to play borderlands without the arrows you would just get that because the, the game has like hundreds of guns in it you know and, and it's some random of the guns have, right it's random it's like some of the guns have just a small a smidgen like better right you don't want to spend some time comparing but ah, it wasn't even worth it. it wasn't worth my time comparing that green good red bad i don't even like <laughs> when i get a new weapon i'm so lazy i don't even bring up the menu until i'm having issues fighting things and i'm like Oh, yeah, I haven't changed my weapon for like 30 hours. Let's go do that. Oh, yeah. I'm really yeah. bad with that. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's tons that are in games right now that have an educational kind of connotation to it, right? Like you can you can take these elements and, you know, actually, uh, if you were to, I guess, make them a bit more pointed, you can take these elements and make them more educational, you know? Uh, but you know, Nick. Before we start the show, you brought up does game does gamification have a place in education? So, do you want to talk about that? Well, that's gamification is the concept of like taking sort of non-game activities and making a game out of them. And I think maybe the, the, the simplest kind of example I can think of would almost be like the the punch cards you get at a restaurant, like where you go and you fill out. You know, like every 10 sandwiches, you get a free sandwich. It's the same kind of thing. Like in, in World of Warcraft, like every 10 world bosses or something, you get like a mount or something. So now you've kind of gamified the whole premise of going to the, the sandwich shop to, uh, you know, the, the, now it's like, oh, if I go one more time, I get my free sandwich. Like there's kind of a game to that. And you can apply that to, you know, like, oh, how many times did you do your homework this semester? Well, you know, you get a reward for that. It's, it's really, it's really more uh, an, an increase in the rewards than it is like proper like turning things into a game but i guess i guess we're kind of like like it like kind of like i'm going in a bit of a circle here with that argument but as far as like this gamification of a place i i mean there was one time where i was i was taking a walk and i was thinking and this was before like fitbits were a thing and i was like if i could like track my steps and like because i know like in world of warcraft they track like everything you do there's the one stat page you can pull up it tells you how many it tells you not only like how many mobs you've killed but how many mobs of each different type like how many people you've killed and how many you know like like it, 
monsters you've killed and all kinds of stuff in there. And I was like, I would love it if there was a stat page that I could look up and be like, how many steps did you take today? Or, you know, <laughs> how, how far did you walk? Now you can do that. There are apps for that. And and I'm checking that, mine right now, actually. Exactly. <laughs> it's, that, it's that kind of mentality that where you can track these stats and then as you progress and hit certain levels that you can, you know, basically like if you think about it, like in, in uh, you know, like if you look at like the old skill trees in WoW where it's like, oh, you know, you hit something with a stick, you know, like enough times, eventually you level up your stick skill. And it's the same kind of thing. Like, you know, you want to see like, even though like there's, it's all sort of an analog for how you might actually progress in the real world. We're so used to these systems in the virtual world. It makes sense to kind of bring them back to the real world that it's like, Oh, okay. Well, if I took a thousand steps, maybe I get to like level two walking, even though like the actual rewards for that, it's not like I get like plus one to my speed or anything, but I will walk faster. I'll walk better. I'll you know, presumably have better posture, that kind of stuff that it's a way to allow people to see the results of things without actually, Without actually having to, you know, without them having to look too hard. Because the problem is, like, if you're doing something, like, fitness-related, like, you don't see the results immediately. I mean, I guess the, the the most base fitness stat is your weight. And there are times where it's, like, you know, your weight kind of plateaus, even though you're still working out, your body's still changing. That, 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 you know, I guess this is part of that whole, like, instant gratification culture that you hear about. But if you can, you know, set up a system where people are rewarded, they see the, the regular progress. I mean, you go... You know, you go, you play your, your role-playing game, you see your experience bar, that always moves. And and in real life, when you're learning or you're going through, you know, certain, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're exercising, you don't see that experience bar moving. And I think that's kind of what gamification helps with is that it keeps, it keeps the experience bar moving so that you don't get, you don't get sort of like lost over the fact like, oh, I'm not really seeing any progress right now. And there's, there's definitely room for that in, in the world. So there's apps for that. Like, for real, you can, like, set up, like, things that you could do, like, oh, do this today or whatever, and it gives you, like, uh, I guess, false rewards, however you want to put it. Uh, but it kind of depends on the setting that you're looking at, especially if you're looking at it in a classroom setting, because a lot of teachers already do that. Like, oh, little Jimmy gets a gold star for doing whatever, but you have to look at the other other side where there's some kids that are like, this is stupid, this is for babies, why are we doing this? Um and as far as rewards themselves, that has to come from somewhere. And a lot of teachers already pull out of pocket a lot of supplies that they need. So it might not come from the teacher. And if it comes from the parent, who knows, like, you know, if they could afford to consistently give out rewards like that. So in a classroom setting, it's plausible. But if not all the kids are doing it, it can easily fall pretty fast. Well, I like Nick's idea about. I thought you were going to take that somewhere else. Cause I was ready to battle you, Nick, but <laughs> <laughs> I like Nick's idea about being able to show progress. Like that kind of that does help, right? So uh, Fitbit actually on the Fitbit app, if you have the scale, it shows like the scale has like a chart and it shows your weight every day, but it shows a trend. Like so, you know, if you're losing weight. Right, your weight doesn't just go down; it goes down, up, up, down, 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 up. And basically, you just want like Left, a right, constant B-A-B-A trend. Start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you just want a, a constant trend of it going down, and that's what Fitbit does. The, the Fitbit scale does. It shows you every data point of your actual weight, and then it shows you the and, and the 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 actual line that's most notable is the trend, is the the actual trend, whether it's going up or down. So something like that, I think, is useful. One thing I don't want to see in schools is f- like a bunch of gamification used 
like in terms of like a bunch of false rewards, right? Where every time you reach a certain level, you get something. Y- your reward is passing to the next grade. <laughs> you know, your reward is being successful, right? Like, um, actually, funny thing, like one of the talk about Overwatch quickly. So Overwatch with competitive, when you win a competitive game, you get competitive points. They put this in the game to make it more enticing to play competitive. But it's kind of backfired because people who shouldn't be playing competitive are playing competitive and they're ruining competitive in a lot of the lower tiers. Especially in the first week of competitive in Overwatch is trash. The last week of competitive Overwatch is trash. Because this is when all the people who are just trying to get competitive points, this is when they play. And Jeff Kaplan himself came out and said that he wishes they didn't put competitive points into the game. It's kind of like a false reward. The reward for winning a competitive match is winning and getting and getting to a higher SR. That is your reward, you know. So it, that's what I don't want to see in terms of gamification because that that is another marker of gamification: false rewards like that. And that's something I don't want to see in education. But let's talk about what games are currently in education because there are resources for teachers. Well, I'm going to say resource for teachers because I only found one, but I imagine there's more than one. Um, actually, I didn't even find it. I think, Christina, didn't you find it? I don't remember. It was a group uh, effort. We found it together. All right. <laughs> so I'm just trying to give credit where credit's due. I couldn't remember who found it. I was like, well, I don't think it was me. So, <laughs> But um, there's a, uh, a website called Teacher Gaming that has games that can be brought into the classroom and these games do different things. Like some of them are about building. Some of them are about economies. Some of them are about engineering. Some of them are games that you'll see on steam. Like, um, what is it? I think space engineers, a super simple name. Well, space engineers is on steam, but there's an educate. There's an educational focused version of that. Kerbal space program also has a specific, version for education i think the only difference is that it is uh cheaper for education for teachers and then you also have education minecraft and education minecraft has a modding like has a uh i think it's a, it's a modding ability i think it's just like a mod yeah because like minecraft itself you already like i think minecraft by itself was starting to be in classrooms because like the redstone currents were really really good in in a teaching element but then they started adding things um, as a mod that I think Microsoft even bought out um, for like science and stuff like that um, and like uh, computer science and a whole bunch of stuff that you actually have the option to play. I was kind of interested in jumping into it because I wanted to see what would I don't know if it's money, like if you had to pay for it or if it's just like a standard mod, but it's definitely interesting. More than likely, if you can show your credentials, you either get it for free or at a discounted rate. I can't imagine that it's full minecraft price especially if they're going to buy it for classrooms right Right. that's usually the deal with the educational um games they they, you you get them for cheaper in the classroom i mean man as a student i think you can get like adobe for like 20 bucks the master suite so i'm pretty sure they're doing the same thing for education (laughs) but yeah so and i thought that minecraft edu one was was particularly interesting because you can build modules for it. You can do science experiments and like actually let me pull up the site because they had a bunch of examples, right? Was it EDU Minecraft? Yeah. 
Let's see, I got it. Maybe. Okay, so it has a... Oh, so they have like a whole bunch of stuff that you could do. Like you can make a portfolio and stuff with all the stuff that you've done. Um, yeah, but yeah, they have that. Page. What happened to the page that I saw? It doesn't, I don't, I can't find it now. They have that. They have uh, chemistry. They have coding. They have all types of stuff in the, in, in the Minecraft, in the Minecraft education edition. Because that's basically like kind of you know Minecraft is a is a build it yourself type of you know game, so it fits really well that you can do all these different things in Minecraft. And I'm sure, especially for kids of a certain age or people you know, uh, yeah, I guess I'll just say kids of a certain age, it definitely keeps them more engaged than what I got when I was in school. You know, whether that be, uh, you know, well, actually, I just got paper. That's what we had when I was in school, paper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, yeah, that it, it definitely is more engaging. And that's why I thought that one was really interesting. So, but I, I'm sure Ubisoft is trying to get into classrooms just like Minecraft has already done. But, you know, Minecraft may not be your thing. And maybe Rocket Science is your thing because that's where Kerbal, Kerbal Space Program is. And I always thought when Kerbal Space Program was first out, I was like, man, this would be great in classrooms. One of my favorite things to do, I was telling Nick and uh, Christina last week when Kerbal Space Program was out, was not to play Kerbal Space Program, but to watch people playing Kerbal Space Program and fail to getting into space miserably. God, that, those videos are so funny. Because for those who don't know, Kerbal Space Program, you don't just like make a rocket and fly into space. Like You got to start on the ground you got to make a car then I mean, you have to make a flying machine like an airplane you got actually and you can't just slap some shit together either you, know, you actually have to make it viable to actually fly <laughs> and that's where the challenge comes in getting in the space is it's getting in the space isn't as easy as you think it is you don't just slap a bunch of rockets onto a tube and send it into space it doesn't work that way apparently what <laughs> no way yeah, it does not work that way. So I think Kerbal Space Program will give anybody an appreciation for how hard it is to actually get into space. And the fact that we do it on a regular basis now, go humans, you know. But also in Kerbal Space Program, I think after you get into space, you have to land, you're supposed to land on the moon, which is a, a whole different problem <laughs> you know, that you have to deal with. So it's a pretty awesome game to kind of teach you all of that stuff. And it has a lot of critical thinking and things like that like, baked into it. So that's awesome, too. But there are other games that you won't see in the classroom that might might be a good idea to have them in the classroom. Uh, like uh, Sim Games. You brought that up last week when we talked, Christina. Sim Games are fun, man. That's like, I remembered a lot of stuff from, from when I grew up, uh, you know, a couple years ago, not too long ago. Um <sighs> playing a lot of sim games like uh, sim park and stuff like that and it kind of ta taught me how you know things work like you can't have like too many of one species or else it'll become overrun and all your stuff will be gone but you can't have too much of the other one because it'll eat all the other ones so kind of like just sim games in general and like not just that one but like i played a lot of the sims um as well even though nobody aged in that i kind of missed that in the sims to be honest 
Um, that nobody aged. That nobody aged. Yeah. Because you could play with them forever. I changed like my life ex- like thing to all the way max now. Um, even though I cheated in the game, I mean, the game was... I use Rosebud all the time, but it was still like fun. And I do it a lot now. We're just like kind of going through and like learning skills and stuff. And it's, it's, it's kind of rewarding when I'm like, yeah, go play the guitar. And they learn how to play the guitar. I'm like, yeah, I wish I could do that. I have like a piano, <laughs> right by, a piano that's like right behind me. That's like filling up with dust. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like my, uh, my brother for the life of me couldn't figure out why, if you play guitar here, you just wouldn't go learn how to play a guitar. Yeah. I'm not going to learn how to riff a guitar the same way I can do a guitar hero. You know, <laughs> that was Rocksmith, that wasn't it? Like, wasn't that the whole point of the Rocksmith yeah. game was actually that it was supposed to start to teach you? Like, like Guitar Hero was the, like, entry level. Like, oh, hey, like, you know, like, get used to, like, looking at notes on the screen and then, like, you know, hitting a little button to, to, or a lever to twang it or whatever. And then like Rocksmith was actually like, yes, you, this is actually a way you can learn how to play. To be fair, oh. the drums in like rock band is actually like kind of accurate. Like it, Cause it's like all about rhythm and everything. So if you can get the rhythms out, which I can't, people make fun of me. Cause I, I, instead of just tapping my foot for the bass, like I put my whole body <laughs> into it. So every time I play like rock band, I'm just like swaying forward. It's pretty bad. Don't, <laughs> don't let me play that. If I can go back for a moment to The Sims, I've maintained that The Sims is one of the greatest economic simulators that are out there because it gives you the opportunity to like track a family unit through their economic growth, which is hard to do in real life because I mean, yeah, like we're all on our way through, but we're not, we don't reach the end of like that economic growth until the end of our life when we're like, oh, I can look back and see how I did economically and learn from that. And one of the things that you notice, you know, at least this is as far as like my, like, you know, that's developed my economic philosophy is that you notice when you start the game off that your Sims have no money and you're just buying whatever cheap stuff that you can just to get by. And you're really, you're, you're, you know, like your Sims have like no time because all they're doing is working on love, you know, getting their skills up so they can get that next promotion to get more money so they can get better stuff so they can get more money so they can get better stuff. And eventually you hit a point where they have everything that they need and like they, they, there's no, they don't really need to like level up anymore. They've maxed out all their, their different skill units and now they just start getting rich and eventually you buy all the stuff that's in the game. That's why they have to keep coming out with expansions because there's too much, you know, there's too much money floating around that game for them to actually, you know, to just, they just wind up sitting on it. And that's, I think that's something that people lose sight of that, you know, people think like, oh, hey, like I'm, you know, at the point where I have a lot of money and you know, like I don't need it as much. Whereas, you know, they, they lose sight of how it, how it is when you don't have a lot of money and you're struggling just to get by to that next level. And conversely, when you're struggling to get by, you don't realize like what it's like when you actually have all that money at the end. So to me, the Sims, to me, the Sims, I think it, it gives you a little bit more perspective on like how our economy works in that way. So are you mm. saying if we make a leveling up system IRL, like you were talking about, then I'll be rich? Yes. But the problem is you'll awesome. be rich when you're old. Oh, that's kind of how it usually goes. Kind of how it usually goes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But the reason I actually stopped playing The Sims is because it just reflected my real life. Like that's (laughs) that's why I stopped playing The Sims. Like I will literally wake up in the morning, go to work, go to the gym, come home and play video games, 
go to work, go to the gym, <laughs> come home with me because that was what was going on in the Sims. And I'm like, man, I'm not dating anybody. I'm going to stop playing this game. <laughs> this is too much oh, right now. Oh, I thought now. you were saying you were dating anybody in the game. Okay. I wasn't dating anybody in the game. Like I said, it was reflected in my real life. <laughs> so, so I'm did, like, I'm, I'm did you make them. a copy of yourself in the game that you could then watch just playing the game and then going to the gym and playing the game so that that sim could then watch, play the game and watch you, you know, your sim self <laughs> going to the gym, playing the game and so on and so forth. Simception. It was like a mirror. I was like, I got to do something here. <laughs> and then, you know, now I don't mash those buttons. So <laughs> <laughs> did you ever uh, see your but- sim skip like leg day or something? You're like, Oh, I can't skip leg day. I'm going to be like my sim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, like sim games, I think you're right. They're a great economic simulator, but that's just like in terms of households, the, the Sims. Yeah. But if you look at other sim games like Sim City, it you can I mean, obviously it's not as realistic, right, uh, as you would want it to be. But it could still kind of you still get the idea of how an economy of a city kind of works. You know, you have to have a balance between your communities and your uh, citizens and businesses coming in and transportation and things like that, you know? Well, I just want to say like the one caveat that goes, I think with all the SIM games is that they are based on abstract models that are developed that are supposed to replicate what we see in real life. And so they're only as good a learning tool as that abstract model on which they're based upon. So I mean, it's really, it's good as a teaching tool in the sense that you can see when that you can see like, you know, like talking about like Sim, what, Sim Park or whatever with like ecosystems, like we have a good understanding of ecosystems. So you can build that abstract model up and then you can kind of have the game replicate that back. So somebody who maybe doesn't understand it as well as the developers did, they can get a better understanding for it that way. Whereas, you know, you know, like a bad Sim game could actually be very bad from an educational perspective because <laughs> right. it, I mean, it, it'd kind of be like the, like a, you know, it kind of be like the equivalent of like a calculator spitting out like one plus one is five, except because these systems are so intertwined, it's not as easy to check. You know, you may not realize like, Oh, Hey, like you're, you're trying to do something here and it doesn't actually work, but the simulation says it would. So it should work. You know, it could be a little confusing in that regard. Oh, that is definitely true. Like I say, it's it, the sim games aren't as realistic as you kind of would expect them, as you would want them to be for educational. But that's something that can be tweaked, right? Like that's if if you put a game like that into education, it can be tweaked to be a bit more realistic. They can grab real data models from real cities and stuff like that. I think Cities in Motion was a great is a great game that could be in classrooms because it will teach you that public transportation is no joke. Like actually getting public transportation set up and running properly is no joke at all. Like it's actually a pretty big challenge to make it work well. And they, they did a great job. That's all Sunday's emotion is about. It's about the public transportation aspect. It's almost like the Sims, but it's public transportation. And each individual each individual node or person that you see has a different personality. It's a different AI. Like they Go. To, they work at this place and they like to do these things. So their node wants to go from work to this bar, from work to the gym, or from work to the park. Or when they're walking home, they may want to, you know, walk through this scenic area. So that that actually goes and all goes into making cities in motion. 
So that I think that's a great game. That's like, but there's also a game called just straight up democracy, which is about you know relationships and diplomacy and making the right calls and making the right deals. And you can learn a lot from how that works, you know, just from playing that game right now. I mean, these games that we're talking about right now, The Sims, Sim City, even Sim Tower, um, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Like you, it gives you information. Like it it kind of teaches you a bit about running a business, running a city, economics. You know, there's still people on this planet that uh, that don't know how banks work in places where they use banks. You know, that, that's a uh, that's kind of dangerous. You know, as you know how a bank actually works. Well, I think what it is is it's not it. It lets you sometimes look at the world from a different perspective, like. You know, like SimCity, like how often do you look at your town from the perspective of a city planner and the mayor and, the you know, the city manager who has to manage the budget? Like it lets you see all these aspects that you have to think about because, I mean, from your perspective, it's like, oh, hey, the trash just comes, you know, every Tuesday night and, you know, the water just flows through the pipes and everything's great, you know, especially as a kid. Like you don't even think about like, you know, having to pay like the sanitation or the water bills, but you know, when you see like, oh, hey, no, you actually have to like lay out all those pipes and you actually have to make sure you're putting enough money into sanitation. Otherwise, the garbage starts piling up like it lets you, you know, lets you think about the world in a slightly different way. So you have a better understanding for it. You mentioned Sim Tower. I mean, that game, that game was mind blowing to me because it, it, it there was so much like that went into building that tower. I spent way too long, way too long in like 1994. Is that when that came out? 93, 94? I can't remember, dude. But I spent like my one Christmas break just playing that game like nonstop. And I mean, you know, like learning, like you can't put your office space too close to your residential. Otherwise like the office space value and the residential value goes down. You got to make sure there's, there's gaps and you got to keep your tower nice and all this stuff. And, and then seeing how people would go to the restaurants and everything. I mean, and you know, a lot of that was just, you know, kind of tracking pixels. I mean, they'd have a little like red dot, like, Oh, you mark this guy up here. He, he lives in this, you know, in this residence, he, he works in this office and then he likes to eat at this restaurant. Like, you know, that's, that, that's kind of fun to track, but I mean, that was just, I don't know that I just like Sim tower. That's all. That's my only point there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even games like portal, right? Like completely unrealistic. Nobody's making portals on the moon. But Portal is a lot of a lot of Portal is about well you can't make portals either by the way but <laughs> a lot Darn. of Portal is also about physics and things like that and taking puzzle games like that and putting them into a three dimensional space that real that is something that I think has a lot of a lot of value that's if you know when you're talking about education a lot of a lot of what we're talking about here right with education is more than just reading writing and math. You know, it's it's other abstract things like understanding how your city works, understanding how your country works, under how, understanding how the economy works. Those are actually big things that a lot of people come out of school and they don't understand because of the of the pressure to actually pass exams and things like that. You know, so uh, yeah, the I think there's a lot of people who learned about games and economy and. Uh, diplomacy after <laughs> their formal education. I still don't have diplomacy. It's like a negative two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But besides that, besides games that you can actually relate to be an actual educational and have educational value, there's games that are that provide an educational experience 
or, or may be able to, uh, you know, I guess communicate something to you that you normally wouldn't understand. Like maybe like a mental illness or talking about alcoholism or depression, you know. So an example would be like Hellblade. Hellblade specifically is about mental illness. And I haven't played it yet, but from what I've, I've, I've heard about the game is a lot of people, once they get through it they, it, they feel like they understand mental illness a bit better. You know? Yeah, I, uh, it's definitely on my list to play. It's just like one of those games. And a lot of those games where they, they kind of touch on those things, it's like kind of a really heavy thing that I would really not like a, oh, let me sit on my couch and play some games for a couple of hours. It's something that I really want to sit and like devote some time into uh, without being distracted. Like, oh, I had to go cook dinner. Oh, my my buzzer just buzzed for my laundry or whatever, you know, and it's just those times never really come. And I unfortunately push these really awesome games um, back. But it's just, again, really heavy stuff that like I don't want to just jump into. Right. Yeah, that that's kind of the, the thing. Like, especially, you know, I guess maybe if you hopped into it beforehand, before all the hype, you could have just hopped into it. Because I hear it's not, it's not a long game. No. I think it's somewhere between five to eight hours. And now there's, like, a, a lot of people like, man, this is, like, really heavy. So you're kind of right about that. But yeah, Hellblade is a game like that. Also, Papa on Yo. And this game, this game is from a while, not a while back. I want to say 2013, 2014, maybe. And Papa and Yo is about alcoholism, and there's no alcohol in the game, right? Like you, you uh, there's a monster, and there's a kid, and if the monster eats three frogs, I think it's frogs, the monster becomes enraged, and he's not like himself. You have to wait for the monster to calm down. And the creator of that game specifically created a game to talk about his experiences as a kid who had a dad who was an alcoholic. So that game can kind of translate what he was feeling to to you. At least that's the goal. And then you have a game like Depression Quest, which is very direct in in the game that it's trying to be. And that game is, you know, you're having conversations with people and you know what you want to say. You want to say one thing, but certain options are grayed out and it kind of is supposed to help you get give you an appreciation of what, you know, when you're depressed that you want to do one thing, but you do another. You know, so that there, there. I'm pretty sure there's, there's even more games. Actually, I know there's way more games that that can translate these experiences over. Yeah, like a oh, what's up? What's up? Well, I was gonna say like that. Dragon Cancer would that count? What? Yeah, that 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 does count. I mean, that's also another very specific game. It's about somebody's kid having cancer, right? Like that's yeah. I was just yeah. going to bring up, because uh, I brought it up earlier, was Celeste that just came out. And apparently that game uh, talks, not talks, I mean, it's it's a silent game. It's it's uh, pixelated, um, made by the same people who did Towerfall. Um, but it touches on um, depression and anxiety about, like, climbing this massive mountain. But there's, like, a lot of, I guess, turns and stuff. I Again, as I haven't played it, but now it's definitely on my radar after hearing it's a lot more in-depth than just, like, a 2D, um, it's basically Super Meat Boy. It's, like, Super Meat Boy, and it's about anxiety and depression? Yeah. Super Meat Boy gives me anxiety and depression. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's such a great combination. 
Well, from what I was reading with it, it's uh, like the music and everything is like super calming. So it kind of like eases you into it. It doesn't make you feel as angry because you know how like things like music and like how everything so fast can definitely affect your mood in in games or anything life. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what I said, I just brought, brought up fucking Magrunner earlier. That music <laughs> that they had with the game not working, not really working. So, um, yeah, but like the, 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 there's games who can definitely translate those experiences as well. You know, not every educational game has to be about building an actual skill. If you can under, if you can, even if these games don't 100% translate the 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 subject matter right at least give you an idea so you can be a bit empathetic toward these issues that's a huge help in dealing with other people you know i mean there's still so many people that think you know depression oh just get over it or you're feeling sorry for yourself or you know you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps like like, you know like you know you hear stupid shit like that or you know how you know how alcoholism affects more than just the person who's the the actual alcoholic. Like when you say I have an alcoholic father or girlfriend or wife or mother, that is a a pretty big deal. You know that that affects a lot of people, and people don't don't get it. You know they don't know what to say um, because of their perception. It, you know what it does? It takes you games like that take you outside of yourself right i mean your reality ultimately is built on your perception and your perception is only what you've perceived and what you've experienced so that's why some of the people who've experienced the least in life are some of the biggest assholes you'll ever meet you know diversity is king in terms of you know making better decisions and making better people the more experiences that you're exposed to the better off you're going to be, the more things you're going to like. If you've been around the same people your entire life doing the same things, like you were never going to grow. And games like this can kind of help you understand a bit better what it's like to be one of those people, just like movies do in some cases. Like, you know, think about, well, actually, I, I don't know if any of us were alive when Roots actually came out, but Roots was a huge game changer for a lot of people. You know, go ahead. Nick. Wait, I was gonna say the what the, was it Lifetime or the History Channel? Or didn't they team up and do it together? They they uh, did a remake. Uh, was it last year or two years ago? That was really good. Yeah, I don't. I didn't watch it. Uh, I already know. I know the story. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah. I, I I didn't. I didn't do the remake. I didn't watch the remake. But I'm talking about like the if you hear people talking about the original, like when that came out, like for for history that was pretty well known. It was a huge shocker. For a lot of people, like they just didn't understand, like you know, and so so roots kind of did that. But I think video games do that a bit better because you are actually experiencing it, and it can it can hit a bit harder than a movie or a TV show. Well, well, isn't that sort of like the ideal? I guess is that like we're we're moving like like movies. Where you know you watch it on a screen and you see what happens, or it's actually you start with books, where it's like you read it, you have to imagine it in your head. Movies, you actually see it visualized, but it's you're still watching it through a screen. Games, now you can actually move around and interact with that. And then I guess the next step would be like VR, where you put the helmet on and you're actually back in time at this place. You know, you're actually there experiencing it for real. And you know, at that point. 
like, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing, you know, it's one thing even with Assassin's Creed to be like, oh, hey, like I'm going to, you know, control an avatar running around, running up and down the pyramids and stuff. When you're actually, you know, with the headset on, you're actually running around and interacting with the people and seeing everything. I think that that's sort of the next level. That's where I think where all this is headed. I know you don't, you like to poo-poo VR is like an, uh, you know, like a, a enter- entertainment experience in the home. I think this is somewhere that VR could actually be useful. To, to give you that, you know, ex- experience and allow you to, you know, see the world in a completely different way that you could, uh, you know, in any, in any other way. It's utterly impossible otherwise. Yeah, I do agree that VR could definitely be way more useful in schools than it is in your house. That's for sure. <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's more like a gimmick in your home, but in a school, it can actually be pretty useful to experience things. But the th- what I would like to see in terms of virtual experience in games in schools are stuff that have heavier subject matter. They tend to treat schools and children's with, with, with kid gloves, right? You know, and you learn about, so for example, you learn about World War II in school. And it's kind of just something that that happened. You know, it's a war that happened. And you don't, I really don't think most people understand the impact of World War II and the Nazis with what you learn in school, just in a historical context. You know, the first time I went to the uh, the um, the Holocaust Museum is when I kind of got a much deeper understanding about that. And you know, the funny enough, and no, this game is not realistic. I will. This is this game is not realistic. Obviously, nobody has to send me a message about that. One of the games that gave me one of the heaviest understandings or appreciations of World War II was Call of Duty 1 and 2 because of how they presented the action. You know, you know, first of all, you weren't some like elite soldier like you are in new Call of Duties. You weren't some badass going around just killing everybody. You were a private, right? You were expendable. And you are there fighting in the muck with everybody else. You're seeing people get laid out. You're watching. I, I was playing with Call of Duty 2, and there's one mission where you have to get to the top of this hill. And getting to the top of this hill was, I'm, as I'm doing it, I just thought to myself, if this was real life, I'd be dead. There's no way I can do this thing. But that particular instance really happened in real life. American soldiers moving up this, 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 uh, this, uh, I don't want to say it was fortified, but it was heavily armed. Like, you know, they, the Germans had it and they moved up. They got to, they got the hill. You know, that was, that's some serious shit, you know, some serious shit that I could never do. I was like, I could never do this. And there, and at the time, I, I can't remember how old I was. I think I was like 18, maybe 19. And people my age in real life did that. And that is stuff like that kind of gave me a much heavier understanding of what happened. So I think virtual experiences and games should be used for that because people certainly don't have a, a an appreciation of something like World War II now. I mean, we have Nazis running around the streets now. Like, people don't get it. Like, they, 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 it was just something that happened to them, you know? So, but yeah, that, that's what I think about that. I, mean, <laughs> I think... Oh, no, you can go. Okay, I was going to say, like, uh, I, I don't have, like, a game experience with that, but, like, I think things that happen, like, in general, like, natural disasters and things that, like, we don't actually experience, we we go, like, oh, that really sucks, I feel bad for them, let me throw some money, prayers their way, whatever, but you don't see the impact, and I re- remember when uh, Katrina happened, 
I like same thing. I mean, I was a little younger, so I was like, wow, this is really kind of crazy. What's going on? You know, whatever. And it wasn't until a few years later where I had a book assignment and I was like reading like an actual story of the, a person going through and like looking at like everything that's happened and like um, searching houses and finding people alive or not alive, but like finding people dead and how many bodies are. And like I was reading that, I was like, wow, this is like really hefty. And this is something that happened in my my lifetime is really something that I should have, you know, thought more about. But because it doesn't happen to them, people don't think about it like that. I mean, so in those experiences, like it, it could definitely help a lot. Like, like mine, it was just reading like a little passage, like in a book, but like experiencing it firsthand, like you can actually see like what happened and it would be crazy. Well, I think... I think there's a, a, an interesting point here, uh, just to go a little bit back to more what Jarrett was saying, though, that you were playing, you know, like the, the Call of Duty games that weren't quite realistic. And I don't think you necessarily need some of these games to be realistic. They just need to be realistic enough. And then that can spark the interest in somebody, then go out and seek other resources to learn more about it and learn what actually happened. And so in that case, they're, I guess they're not so much the educational tool, but they're that they're that spark that, you know, it triggers something in somebody that then encourages them to go out and, and, and learn more. And I mean, and yeah, at that point, then you can go to, you know, go to museums, go to, you know, you know, get, get books, you know, watch movies, find, you know, documentaries and stuff like that, that will, you know, educate you because that's ultimately, I mean, that's ultimately what this is about is education. Absolutely. And I mean, some people may think, well, this doesn't have really have a place in a classroom, which, okay. Maybe or maybe not, but it's still you can still use games in these in these ways to kind of uh, pass these experiences on, like we've been saying. So uh, we have another note here saying, you know, what games we'd like to see in education. I think we kind of covered that already uh, for the most part. I still think as meh fun as Chain of Memories was, I still think it'll make a great educational game if you can tweak it in other ways. Like, I mean, right now it's, it's addition, right? But you could tweak it for to strengthen skills in multiplication, division, uh, other type of mathematical stuff. You know, even um, chemistry, because you can make, you can have cards that, you know, represent chemical reactions and you put the reactions together that you're looking for. You know, it's stuff like that. So I, I think that might be able to work. Do you guys have any games, any additional games you think will work well in education? Well, like I said before, even before the Assassin's Creed kind of is doing what they're doing now, I think that would be a good idea moving forward if Ubisoft kind of took some of the older games, like you said, and and made them, uh, I guess, like more of a walkthrough or something like uh like, I always thought that they could have been tweaked in some way to be a little bit more educational in certain aspects. But I haven't played too much of them to really point out specific details on what I would like to change about it, I guess. Gotcha. Nick? I don't know. I just like anything that's a physics simulator. Uh, like, you know, you talk a little bit about Portal. You talk a little about, bit about, like, the Kerbal uh, Space Agency. You know, I, I want. I just want to see more stuff like that, where you're just building stuff, and then, you know, you kind of put the stuff in in motion, and then let you know the the systems kind of play with it and, and show you what happens. I think and more games like that are good. Gotcha. Okay. So with that one, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up. I'm gonna be a responsible host this time. We got a minute, uh, an hour six on the clock. 
you know, no two hour show this time. <laughs> so we're gonna go ahead <laughs> gonna go ahead and call it. Uh thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh we are available on multiple podcast platforms. Uh whatever if you listen on iOS or Android, just go to whatever you know podcatcher you use and you should be able to uh you know find us. Just search for Mashcast. If you can't find us there, just go to the Mashless Buttons website and look for the RSS feed link and you can add us to you should be able to add us to almost any podcatcher you listen to. So uh you know you can you can subscribe to the show that way. Uh, we are available on Twitter at MTB site. You guys want to go ahead and give your social information? Yeah, okay, I'll go. I was waiting <laughs> for you so that way I could remember which social medias I have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with Vero. Vero. I posted a hamburger on that. I don't know what's going on with Vero, but I am S'mores Pop Tart with a Z at the end of S'mores on uh, Twitter, Twitch. Instagram and Facebook, and I guess Vero. I don't. I haven't done much on that. If I'm going to do anything on it, and I am at WookieBH on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me on Wow Talk and the Torn and the Goblin here on Mesh Those Buttons. All right, and I am underscore Ja underscore on Twitter, and you can find me on Watchpoint Radio. We stream live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the show is released on podcast platforms every Wednesday, uh, hopefully on time, <laughs> you know, uh, Wednesday morning. So, yeah. Uh, additionally, I think that's it. Like, we don't have a bunch of stuff like we have on the other shows, <laughs> you know, to kind of drop off to try to drop off in this show because the show is still kind of fresh for now. But we thank you guys for listening. Uh, hopefully, uh, this is uh, your fourth listen. to to, to the show if not uh, hopefully you will listen again next time Uh, definitely check out matchlessbuttons.com slash shows to see all the other shows like Nick said he hosts two WoW podcasts I have a uh, Overwatch podcast like I've been mentioning but we also have Double Tap which is our podcast that's dedicated to the fighting game community and we have Sit Rep Radio which is a podcast dedicated to the the division uh, thanks to Destiny too so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah so okay we, we're also starting a destiny 2 swear jar destiny 2 is a swear word on the show and i just it was, you, it was you, gonna be a dollar you went an yeah. hour and like eight minutes and actually, you, because he can't talk about destiny 2 as educational yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's educational exactly. in the sense that it warns you like what not to do <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> like the so old goofus and, uh, goofus and gallant comics like goof or uh, gallant would be like the uh, the division goofus is destiny too yeah so is it, is it a dollar uh, i don't have an extra dollar on me put it on my, <laughs> put it on my tab so it's a, a dollar to start the the destiny two swear jar Yes. <laughs> Remember that one. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, like I said, check out meshbuttons.com shows to check out our other content. We have some stuff in the works coming out, and there should, there should be some announcements on that very soon. So just keep an eye on meshbuttons.com, or more than likely, just follow us on at MTB site on Twitter. And we will catch you later. Have a good night. Well, it's a good night for us. Whenever you listen to this, have a good one. See you guys. See ya. <laughs> Never stop learning. <laughs>